Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend, bringing you authors and experts every week to enhance your appreciation of the pets who share your lives. Please give a listen to all my new Pet Talk radio shows on the Radio Pet Lady Network, co-hosted by top experts at RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content and is brought to you with the generous support of Platinum Performance Supplements, Precious Cat Litter, Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, Feel Away and Adaptil, and Waruva Pet Foods. Waruva is a privately owned company named after the owner's cats, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. They are dedicated to the highest quality ingredients in their cans and pouches. People could even eat it because it's all made in a human food facility, so everything in there is good enough for us to eat. All the flavors of Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are great for finicky cats, especially those you're trying to transition away from dry kibble. So this is the most amazing dog talk show. It's the puppy show. I've never had a puppy show before. After this puppy show, I might have to have another one so we all get our fix. I'm going to be talking to Linda Hardheimer, who has Greyheart Weimer on her brilliant breeder in Saddle River, New Jersey. You know, that's my favorite breed. Never gotten to have a puppy, though. Maybe this will change my mind. Then Pat Hastings will be joining us. She is very famous in the breeding world. She evaluates whole litters for their physical excellence. And then Christine from Shady Lane, who we've talked to before, she's going to talk about what she requires of puppy buyers before they get to take their puppies home. Uh, certain food she wants them to buy, and she wants them to prove that she, that she has, that they have prepaid for puppy classes. So if any of you haven't been, had these things required of you, the breeder should have. And I'm going to jump right in and say hi to Linda. It is so great to meet you. Hello, Tracy. It's such an honor to be on your show. And oh, I'm so excited Linda, to talk about my the, favorite subject, puppies. Puppies and wine puppies. And oh yes. my God, if any of you have ever followed my advice to get a subscription to the Whole Dog Journal, which if you didn't do it then, do it now. There's a picture of Linda covered in Weimar on her puppies, which is how I learned about you. Oh, that must be heaven, covered in all that little gray silk. Yes, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, what the, what the article in the Whole Dog Journal was about, and we're going to be talking to some some other people on on topics that are related, is how do you prepare your puppy to the, be the best dog he or she can be, and what do you do early to do that? And one of the things you they talk about, or Denise Flame talks about in her article in the Whole Dog Journal about. Um, exposing your little teeny tiny newborns to duck and stuff. Talk about this, this scent, teaching them scenting early. Yes. Well, we do a combination of um, two things. One is called biosensor, which Carmen Battaglia has written about. And that is a neurosensory program because we believe that young puppies, as their neurons are forming, that put under minimal stress, it can actually lessen how, how they react to stressful things later in life. Ooh, interesting. And, and they do that for people too. I know a lot of we tightly wound people wish someone had done that to us when we were in there. <laughs> well, that, that would be a good thing. But so it, it, it's, we hold the puppy in a number of different positions, um, all very safely. We hold right. them 
down. We hold them on their backs. We put them on a cold towel or a cold dish just for like five seconds. Um, so that again, it's a very quick stress period. Um, but so that it's, but it's all done very safely to expose the puppy to this. And then the other thing that I started doing, actually, I was very fortunate with my first litter. Um, I'm friendly with Gail Watkins, who is Oh, she's been on the show. She's a great golden retriever. Yes. She's been on the show with um, her, the canine, I'm forgetting the name of it. My husband still wears a baseball cap, where they raise money at agility functions to give money to help cancer or other medical. Yes. Canine Health Foundation, Canine Cancer. Yes. Um, And she recently um, started a company called Avidog with two of her co-breeders. Um, I didn't know Mar- Avidog was Gail Watkins. Well, we will yes. be having Gail on the show, thanks to you. Avidog was written about in the in the article as well, and this has to do yes. with early puppy uh, evaluation. Yes, and one of the things that Gail, um, because we've been friends a long time, but when I had my first litter, Gail suggested to me that I start having my puppy sent different things along with the biosensor program, which that program is from when the puppies are three days old until they are 16 days old. You do it every day, the biosensor. And she said, you use all kinds of scents from natural things in your house. Um, We stay away from food items, Um, but we can use spices and fruits, bananas, oranges. Um, We will have them sniff rubber, a tennis ball, Um, because it's not about food. It's about the scenting ability. And especially because we both have hunting dogs, their instinct is, of course, towards, you know, fowl. Yes. So, you know, we'll have them sniff, you know, I mean, a lot of hunting breeders um, have frozen ducks or frozen quail in their freezers for training purposes. Um, we'll have them sniff that. And it is amazing that in a three or six day old puppy that you can have the puppy in your hand and feel them sniffing and it, they quiver. They, with excitement? They totally, with, you mean with it's like excitement. turning on their brain? Yes, it, exactly. Because a puppy that young, most people don't realize puppies are born, they're blind, they're deaf, they're, they can't control their, um, how they control their heat in their bodies. So it's very important to keep tr- puppies warm enough. That's why we use heat lamps, but we don't ah. want to overheat them for the first few weeks. They really can't regulate their bodies, but their main sense, that's how they find their mother and can crawl across the whelping box is through scent. So when you're holding a puppy, I mean, why are honor puppies? They're, when they're full grown, medium sized dogs, as puppies, they weigh 12 to 17 ounces on average. So you have a one pound puppy in your hand and you feel this puppy breathing in and out and they will actually move forward. Now, if they sniff something that they may not like, maybe like a rubber Kong toy or something that, you know, those are great for puppies later, but as a scent, they may go, or if they smell something like cinnamon, you know, you pull a cinnamon stick out of your kitchen do that. Now, what Gail has done over the years, I mean, I was very fortunate again that she helped mentor me with my first litter and sub- subsequent litters, um, is she has actually done research. And this past week, the AKC Canine Health Foundation released her 
research on this, and she, and she has a seminar on the AKC site that is available to anybody wow. that can go on and read about this. And Gail talks about her experience and how they actually have real data, scientific data on this. So we feel, and what Gail did in her study of her many litters of Boldens over the 30 years was compare litters that have had this to litters that didn't. And the dogs were more successful in activities such as tracking hunting than the dogs that didn't. Um, I'm not saying that dogs it, that don't have this aren't phenomenal hunting dogs, right. but it, it takes a dog, you know, that's kind of a raw slate and makes them even better. Well, of course, for people who say, well, I just want a puppy that'll be a pet. But really what it's also doing is this exposure to different temperatures and textures and smells makes them a more well-rounded individual. We talk about people throw around the term puppy socialization and it's taken to mean, well, around 10 weeks old, take them to a class where there's a lot of other puppies. Wow. We're talking three and four days old where you can stimulate their you know, their nerve, their nervous system and their brain and their natural abilities. And it's just a wealth of difference. I mean, it it just goes to show the horror story that puppy mills are where these animals are all kept in these horrible conditions without mostly with sensory deprivation. All they hear is a lot of other screaming dogs, right? And they're standing on wire. And you're talking about taking dogs that you've bred in your home, that you're raising in your home and giving them all kinds of physical and mental challenges that makes them uh, more of who they were going to be anyway. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes. I mean, a good responsible breeder will do everything they can for the first from birth. I mean, even prenatal care of your girl. Yes. um, Through till the puppies are eight weeks old or, or some breeders of smaller dogs keep them till they're 10 weeks or other breeders want to see, grow them out for show prospects, whatever. But they will do what they can because the first eight weeks, I mean, that's the largest physical growth period in a dog. Um, so you want to do what you can, both physically and mentally, to make them stable. And even though many, I mean, I would say even as a show breeder, I breed show and performance dogs, most, you know, half my puppies from the get-go will go to companion homes, what some people call pet homes. I mean, but all the dogs, whether they're show dogs or agility dogs, they're somebody's pet. And that dog That's right. has to be a happy, healthy, stable dog in that person's home. So That's right. we or do in their, everything. Or in their pet. car, or if they're yeah. out going for a walk. And when you think of Weimaraners, which many people know, you know, I, I talk about mine from time to time. Well, pr- practically every week, you can't help it. They're so fun and funny and interesting, but they can be clingy. You know, people talk about, uh, people refer to Goldens, I don't actually agree with it, but they talk about being sort of affection whores, that Goldens need affection all the time. Right. They don't really. My my Golden Roma was not like that. She was very warm and friendly, but she wasn't seeking it. And I think that there's a lot of behavior that people's dogs do that comes from being unstable and unsure and insecure. And a lot of the qualities in a wine that are both marvelous could be not so great if the dog is what you said, unstable, like not, self, not self-sufficient, doesn't feel co- comfortable in their own skin. Well, I think that the breeder knows, I mean, not every puppy is going to be totally confident. Right. Some may be overconfident, but sometimes it's a dangerous thing. Yes, yes. Um, but a good breeder will know that puppy. I mean, we, we do a very extensive temperament test that 
I, again, I've been very fortunate to have Gail Watkins locally that she's done, um, you know, this, it tests 30 different traits and different levels of drive, toy drive, play drive, energy level, how they bounce back from stress, which is, again, really important, especially maybe even more so if you're placing a puppy in a household with children. Yes, um, definitely. How forgiving is that puppy? Yes. Um, so she tests all these different traits. So from, for me, doing a temperament test with her and watching my puppies be tested, many times they test the way I think. It will confirm things I know. Occasionally there's yes. a few surprises, but it's the finer things that will help me decide, okay, which home is the best home right. for this puppy? Which family do I think? And then I have to give that family advice that a puppy that may have a harder time with problem-solving skills, um, you know, it sounds like yes. we're getting our kids ready for kindergarten, but, you know, for problem-solving skills that, you know, we may tell them, you know, when you start training your puppy or taking your puppy to do things, you may need to break things into smaller pieces for that puppy and reward them more often. Um, to make that puppy successful because that puppy, we don't want that puppy frustrated or overwhelmed in a new situation or when they're learning something. Whereas, Whereas you might have someone else who's like a, a little a little Einstein who's like, yeah, I yes. got it, I got it. What do you want me to do next? Right, and the little Einstein, you have to be careful that they don't get bored. Right. So where right. in a lot of very traditional obedience classes right. that they're trying to do the same thing for everyone and wait for everybody to get it. That pet puppy may have nailed it in three repetitions and doesn't need the other 15 that everybody else is doing. So the owner has to be very cognizant of their dog and paying attention to their dog, rewarding for when their dog pays attention to them. So these are things that I tell my puppy people, you know, at the puppy party and when I send them subsequent emails. What is the puppy party? We all want to come to the puppy party. The puppy party is a lot of fun. The puppy party, first of all, the people don't find out which puppy um, I've assigned to them that will be their new puppy, their new family member, until usually the day before the, puppies, the puppy party, the puppy comes, is their going home party. We do the temperament testing. I do a breeder evaluation for structure. And again, that's not just for our show and performance puppies. That's we want to let the people know what, what kind of dog do they have if there's things maybe they shouldn't do because not every dog is built perfect right. or there's things that, you know what, this is a phenomenal puppy. You may want to look into agility right. and do these things with your dog. But you so, may have other dogs that, that like, unfortunately out of my four wimes, two of them tore one ACL and then the other, they're put together wrong. The dogs are too right. long legged. I right. mean, they were, I mean, one of them, the blue, the blue wine came from a breeder for what it's worth. And the nice couple, older people bought them and were in, in no, in no position to have a wine, just not the right breed for them. And so they gave them to the wine rescue in Southern California. But the other three, one was just left at a shelter. The other two were owner surrender. Uh, you know, they had papers from puppy mills basically. So no one ever evaluated them. No one ever stopped to worry about any of these physical things, but it'd be really good to know, for any of us, even when we're adopting a dog or out yes. of rescue. And wow. that's very important. Yeah. And, and if somebody isn't sure, um, I mean, if it's a purebred dog that you're adopting, maybe from a purebred rescue, 
then you may find a local club. We have yes. a local wine runner club. I mean, you know, there's a huge golden retriever club that has local clubs across the nation. Whatever breed, contact them, read the standard and say, you know, does my dog look like what these show dogs look like? Um, and, and see, and, and ask a breeder, you know, what do you think if I could do this activity with my dog? Um, if your dog is a mix, then again, there's canine PTs you could go to or ask your vet and see. Um, you know, and then the thing too is, which a lot of people when they get either get their young puppies or they adopt older dogs, is keeping the dog in correct weight. Very um, good point. I just took off of one of my wines last year. I got 29 pounds off. And my young guy now, wow. Teddy, uh, went from 119 and he's down to 98. We're trying to get everyone back to their two-year-old weight. And it's it's her- horrible how from two years old on, no matter if you're feeding high-quality food and getting good exercise, the pounds pack on. And that definitely puts all kinds of strain on joints. There's a... Okay. There's a- there's a picture. I just have to say one thing about this picture in the Whole Dog Journal where you, your puppies are all in a big, empty kiddie pool and you have empty water bottles in there. Yes. Explain about those kind of challenges. They have to, like, fall down on them and then stand up and, and get their balance? What is? The- no, no they, no, they don't fall down. When we first introduce the bottle pool to the puppies, we introduce the puppies two at a time. Um, that way they're not alone. And the puppy pool does a number of things. You know, it's play. It's play, but it also serves a purpose that it makes the puppies not as sensitive to noise, to things touching them. People don't think about that, and especially because I do agility, and they have to go through reef holes and tunnels and things like that. Or if you take your dog hiking, they're going to have bushes touching them. They run through the woods. So the bottle pool helps to desensitize them to those crackling noises. Um, And it's a lot of fun. And they put their mouth, you know, puppies put their mouths on everything. They chew them. So kind of the beginner piece of this is we put two puppies in the pool together with just a few bottles with food. And they have to be food-motivated puppies and it has to be food they like. And they'll search for the food and accidentally bump into a bottle. Right. And then the more they get used to it... You fill the pool with more empty bottles, and you have to make sure How that you funny. cut off the little ring to make right. it safe. They don't right. fall something. And then next thing you know, you have puppies flying, jumping in the pool, <laughs> and then they're tearing around with the bottles in their oh, mouth. And, you know, some will go and camp out in there and just almost like a bottle pool sauna. I so love it. It does, a, you know, again, a lot of positive things yeah. that, yep. you know, not expensive you know, I, I have a sandbox that I got on sale at Toys right. R Us. Five dollars, and then the, the water bottles are virtually free. I, yeah. Linda, we're going to have to have you come back another time. I want to talk about the temperament testing. I want to know what those, and, and we'll ha- I'll invite Gail as well, but she'll be the one explaining the theory, but I want to know what your experience of it was as someone who knew these puppies from birth and watched them and, and what that testing told you and how that might uh, how it might apply to any of us. Can we get temperament testing for our dogs, even if they're adults? Those are questions that, that I'm sure Gail can answer. We've run out of time. It's so frustrating. I don't suppose there's any point in anybody even dreaming of having a Greyheart Weimar runner, or is that not true? I mean, do you have like a waiting list for five years? I, I have a waiting list, however it's realistic. And But my wines may not be for everybody. Because um, they're hunting dogs. I mean, they're, meant, they're, they're, they're very strong, physical, active really working dogs. Right, right. Most of my dogs go to people who've had ones, but 
you know what, like anything else, I mean, if it's the right family for one of our puppies, um, and I don't breed very often, but, you know, the Weimaraner Club of America has a breeder referral. If somebody wants a Weimaraner, they can contact them. Um, and I'm also a volunteer with Tri-State Weimaraner Rescue, oh, Dan which is Stolix. our local rescue here. But there are Weimaraner rescues across the country as well. So that's Dan Stallings, who's been um, on the show. Tri-State Weimaraner, I think, out of Maryland. No, right? no. Well, that's a different, that's, it's a different Tri-State. That was, different. that was a different, yeah. That's, oh, that's funny. That's a different. All right. But, well, I'm going to make sure that everyone has links to, to your website so they can see these gorgeous puppies. And I don't know if you have a video on there of the of the bottle pool, but it's also wonderful. And I just really take my hat off to you for all the enormous amount of energy and effort and love you put into these puppies and sending them off to a wonderful life. So excited to meet you. So happy to learn all this. I could spend another two hours with you and I am going to invite you back very soon to finish the rest of the conversation. It just, there's, there's so much to discuss and so many things that none of us have ever experienced before. Lucky your little doggies. Thank you so much, Linda. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Tracy. You too. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Take care. We're going to be right back with Pat Hastings, who evaluates litters and who Linda has actually taken um, a course from. So this is pretty cool. We'll be right back after this quick word. This show has been supported by Platinum Performance since its first broadcast. Platinum Performance makes comprehensive nutritional supplements which contain nutrients designed to improve overall health at a cellular level, especially joint health and the arthritis that comes with aging. Platinum Performance makes supplements for dogs, cats, horses, and people, too. We are also supported by the pheromone products Feelaway for Cats and Adaptal for Dogs. Pheromones are chemical communicators that are a natural signal of comfort in your pet's brain. Feelaway and Adaptal plug-in diffusers are stress relievers that can help with anxiety or behavior issues and also help adopted pets make the adjustment to their new homes. Veterinarians carry Feelaway, which can reduce problems in a multi-cat household, and they have Adaptil collars, which can help dogs with anxiety from separation, thunderstorms, or travel. I am back with Pat Hastings, who has who is just a diva in the in the dog breeding world, like a one of a kind, amazing woman, who has figured out how to evaluate a whole litter of puppies and see which of the puppies in there are the most structurally sound for very intense work. Her book, Structure and Action, The Makings of a Durable Dog, I think is probably on the, the bookshelf of very many breeders. And her DVD puppy puzzle that shows her evaluating dogs is just absolutely fascinating. Pat, it is great to have you here. I'm so glad that I could catch you between the raindrops, bef- between you going all over the country to evaluate litters. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. I learned about what you do from an article in the Whole Dog Journal. And when I first got in touch with you, you told me that you had recently evaluated a puppy right in my new home state of Vermont for a a veterinarian who had a litter of Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And I guess to jump right in and explain this extraordinary, really niche that you have created of how to see in a very young puppy, what are you going to get in an adult dog? When you, I guess you fly to the, wherever the person is for the most part, you just bring your hands with you. Is that right? It's just your hands and your eyes. No, nothing else is required for you to do the evaluation? Nothing else, but the majority of the litters I do are at my home. You, so they bring the whole litter to you? Yes. Wow. So people are pretty motivated to have you tell them wh- what is the great dog in their litter. You're mostly looking at structure. 
Am I right? The physical, the way the dog is put together physically. That's all I'm looking at. And is this something that you have created really as a a kind of a scientific way of looking at puppies? um, Actually, yes. It is, right? I mean, I've never heard of anyone else doing it. And when I watched the DVD, I, I saw that you go from the head, the jaw, the neck, the spine, the legs, the chest. And all of that tells you, are you mostly looking on behalf of people that, either want a winning show dog or a working dog, a working dog, even as in agility, or, or is it both? Well, the majority of the evaluations are done for the breeders themselves to make sure that what they're doing in their breeding program is correct and that they're continually making progress in what they're producing. Wow. So and, this is they're doing, that... and they're doing a better job of placing each puppy in an appropriate home for that puppy. So therefore, let's say Rhodesian Ridgebacks, a big, strong, powerful dog. When you evaluate that litter, there are, let's say there's, I don't know what the number is nowadays of AKC accredited dogs. Call it 150 just for a number. Do you, Pat, as if you were a show judge, have in the back of your mind or do you study up on the on what is the breed standard in terms of the angulation or the length of the body versus the legs? Is that Or is that something that you look at that every dog should be a kind of a perfectly balanced critter, not just a breed? Well, both. Uh, I am a judge. Oh, you are? What do you judge? Oh, yes. I judge almost four groups. I judge the herding, the working, the non-sporting, and most of the terriers. Wow. And when I do an evaluation, all evaluations are only done against the breed standard. Okay. So all dogs have exactly the same bones, tissue, whatever. The differences between the breeds are size, proportion, and angles, and those are all dependent on what the purpose of the breed is. Right. So the evaluations are done only against their standard. So what you're really saying to that person who's been breeding and anyone who breeds the way people do with these purebeds is doing it with unbelievable attention to detail and keeping notes and records, all of which you recommend in, in the DVD. Are oh, they, absolutely. They're looking not just to, to hope that they have one star in a litter, but to, to have an overall sense of the way they're breeding that breed is turning out better quality dogs all the time. All the time. That's exactly what it's for. And this is something that I think it, Westminster is in another couple of days, and we all watch the glory and the and the the grooming and the the sparkly dresses. But I think that the the work of the breeders behind the scenes is really fascinating. That they would that they would go to the, the they obviously consider themselves lucky to have you evaluate a litter because you have a very full calendar. You can't take every litter that's born, but they will drive a whole litter of how old are the puppies when they bring them to you? I only look at puppies if they're within three days of eight weeks old. That's what it says on the DVD. So it's like, wow, very specific. So mom travels with them, of course. No, their puppies are weaned by then. They're weaned, so that, that mom was, mm-hmm. doesn't mind. In the in the end, they could go to a, to someone's home at that point. Um, yes. And so you're not looking at temperament or socialization, because I saw some of the puppies in the DVD were kind of trembling. I didn't know if that was fear or excitement. They were a little cold, or they just haven't been used to being in a strange place with a, an unknown person touching them all. Well, one of the critical parts of the evaluation is that an evaluation is always done other than where they live. 
Right. Because puppies are too comfortable where they live and they already have a set pecking order in the litter. And so to go out of their own environment and then to have a stranger pick them up, it doesn't matter what kind of exposure and I and, see. And, and experiences have before then. At that point, they're back to square one. So, yes, right. I, am te- I am checking some very simple genetic temperament issues. I'm checking for fear, I'm checking for insecurity, I'm checking for real dominance, I'm checking for the real independent one. Because yes. again, if the if the breeder knows what kind of an inborn temperament they have, they can do a better job of placing them in appropriate homes. Now we can modify behavior, but you can't change temperament. They and you certainly can't change born. and you certainly can't change structure. <laughs> no, of course not. Well and, and yet there and are so, there are the some more, things. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I said the more structurally sound they are, and that is totally breed specific because uh, a Rhodesian Ridgeback has a total different type of soundness than a bulldog does. Correct. But any time a dog is structurally sound for their own breed to do the job they were bred for, they are much less likely to break down. They're not nearly as susceptible to injuries because breakdown of your body affects your temperament. Right. And the more it affects your temperament, the less quality of life you have as you age. I'm a, I'm a pretty easygoing, laid-back, positive person. Right. And not much, not much ever bothers me. But I broke my leg pretty severely a few years ago. And I could not believe how much that changed my temperament. No kidding. Just living with constant pain, constant discomfort, knowing you can't do the things that yes. you want to do. Yes. It's unbelievable how that drains on you. It's a, it's a really great point. When, when I was looking at the DVD and I thought, it's hard for those of us that, that want to adopt a breed from rescue. Mine happens to be Weimar on her, which is why I had Linda on, besides the fact that she does remarkable things with the puppies from the time they're born. But I look at my oldest one, who has such extreme arthritis on his elbows, it looks like he has huge bone tumors there. Now, he was undoubtedly a puppy mill dog. I I highly doubt that a good quality breeder bred him. He's very, very tall. I'm sure if I looked on the breed center for Wimes (laughs) and looked at the height, he's the height of a small Great Dane or something. And I've I've seen this happen now with other Wimes that I've gotten from rescue. I do see the, the misery of his life. And I would not have not rescued or adopted him had I known this, but, and I never did. He had no interest in agility, but now that you mention it, he probably never could do it. It hurt to do it even when he was young. And that is one of the main reasons why he has no interest. Yes. And I never crossed my mind. And, and as you point out personality, if a dog's in pain and moving is uncomfortable, then being asked to do things is misery. And, and, and so you think, well, I have a stubborn dog or a crabby dog or a, a disobedient dog. You have a dog who's just not a, feeling a hundred percent all the time. Absolutely. So and it, it, I wish that there was, and these, do- these dogs will do anything we ask of them. Yes. And they will continue to do it until they reach a physical point of not being able to do it. And at that point, you've caused so much damage, there's nothing you can do to repair it. But I think that's very, very, very unfair to the dog. 
Yes. I don't think we should be asking any dog to do things that it really can't deal with. And that is the breeder's responsibility to learn what these differences are so they do a better job in their breeding program. And it applies to buyers, too. In what sense, Pat? That, uh, use yourself for example, you didn't have a clue when you rescued, rescued these dogs. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, rescue is absolutely wonderful, don't get me wrong. But people rescue these dogs not knowing anything about dogs and then take these poorly, poorly made dogs and ask them to do agility and ask them to be hunting dogs and, you know, ask them to do these things that they'll do because somebody asked them. Yes, just because dogs will. Because dogs will. But they physically can't do it. And the more you ask them, the faster they break down and the more damage we're doing to these dogs that we're, you know, supposed to love. It's a really good point. And, and, you know, I, something, his, his elbows stuck out a little. I don't know if you call it elbow yep. dysplasia exactly, but they did. And I, I was aware yep. of it early on. And, and I always take a clue from my dogs. What do you, how do you feel? You want to do this? You want to run on the beach? Oh, walking on the beach makes you lame later. I'm never taking you back to the beach. But there are people who keep going to the beach, even something as simple as that, which we know is very unstable ground. And for, even for horses, they can pull suspensories on the beach. But any dog with hip and elbow and, and other problems, you don't want to take them on the sand. They think they're having well, a good time. They run around. And if they're lame later, never go back. Because as you point yeah. out, every time you do it, you're causing damage. Absolutely. But people don't people don't think of things like that. That's and right. that's, that's what I do. That's My whole goal in life is to teach people to learn enough about dogs to in, to improve the quality of their lives. I think that's so fantastic. What do you do with breeds? Now, most of the breeds that you judge, and maybe even most of the ones you evaluate, um, are, are big, stronger, working dogs, hunting dogs. Oh, not, what about companion dogs? That, what about dogs that have no use? God, okay, I mean, all dogs have a use. Well, what about a Pekingese? Okay. Or, no. Every dog on the face of the earth, every purebred dog on the face of the earth was created for a purpose. Okay. All of the sporting dogs hunt feathered game. Right. All of the hound dogs hunt four-legged game. Okay. Half of them by their nose, which is the scent hounds. Right. Half by their eyes, which are the sight hounds. Right. All working breeds were created to work under the direction of man. All terriers hunt vermins and varmints. All toys are were bred to be somebody's wonderful lap companion animal. All non or all herding breeds work livestock, and basically, you know, just just roughly speaking, right. the majority of the non-sporting breeds have outlived their original purpose. Good point. So, toy dogs have a job. They were bred to be somebody's wonderful lap yes. companion animal. If a dog is structurally unsound, starts breaking down, starts hurting, they get to where they snap if somebody right. reaches for him because it hurts. Right. They right. don't want to sit on your lap. Good po- they can't get up on the chair. They don't want to cuddle because it's uncomfortable if Good somebody point. puts them in that position. That dog is no longer capable of doing the job it was bred for, which is to be a wonderful pet. That's so sad. It really, it honestly really makes me feel all teared up. You're absolutely right. Even the simplest, dearest little toy companion dog can be so ill-bred that it can't even do a job as as low impact as that, as yes, being absolutely. that companion. 
Boy, that's really interesting. Well, I guess you, you mostly, besides judging grown dogs, you, I, I don't suppose, do you think there's any rationale for someone that's going to take on an, a slightly older dog, a year to two years old, to have them evaluated? And if so, who oh, could I, do the evaluation? I do that all the time. You do? I do that all the time. So, I mean, we're looking Ma- at dogs. Many that- of the, and many of the litters I evaluate aren't brought by the breeder. They're brought with the approval of the breeder, and the breeder usually comes too, but they're, it's one of the buyers that says, you know, I'm not buying this puppy unless Pat says it's structurally sound enough to do what wow. I'm going to ask, ask of it. So I do a lot of that, and I do a lot of adults. I do a lot of rescue dogs that people are considering buying a rescue, but they want it for a performance dog. Right. And so people are really starting to learn. Well, Pat, what you've done in the field is truly revolutionary and adds such a big piece to our knowledge and awareness because we may then still decide to buy that puppy that is not structurally altogether or continue to go ahead with a rescue plan of a dog. But we will know what their limitations are. We'll know how to take care of their joints or whatever the issue may be. And we'll be more protective of that dog throughout their life and make that life longer and more comfortable for them and for us. And I think you're... That's think, my goal. I think it's a, such a fantastic goal. And I think it's one whole aspect of dog ownership that up until now has been only at best known to breeders. And I think that pet owners need to understand the same idea, that your dog, if he's put together wrong, I've just seen it in dog after dog blowing out cruciate ligaments, horrible surgeries, huge amounts of money, horrible recuperation, arthritis later, crippled for life. If it's avoidable by never letting that dog jump in and out of a car, for example, all kinds of things you can do protectively. Why would we not want to know that, right? So how do people, where is your house and how do people get in touch with you if they want to know these things? I live in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And And, so people uh, come all the way to Portland, Oregon from everywhere? The majority of litters I do are from the Northwest or, or Western Canada or, or Northern California. People drive that kind of distance, Montana, Idaho, drive that kind of distance on a regular basis. I did have a litter that drove all the way up from Florida. Oh, my. Well, a litter, what, what kind of and dogs? It was Border Terriers, and they said, well, you know, we want Pat to look at this litter. Wow. Let's, just, let's pack everybody in the motorhome and make a vacation of it. Oh, so my God. So they drove from Florida. Absolutely. Isn't that and, something? And then um, I also do seminars teaching all of this yes. to people. And the... Um, I think that's what Linda told I always me. do. I always do at least a couple litters at a seminar. And then anytime I'm in an area already, I end up doing evaluations while I'm there many, many well, times. Think, and then many people fly me in to do to actually for the sole purpose of looking at a litter. It makes sense if this is what your life is going to be devoted to, to, to go in the wrong direction without realizing that's the direction you're going in and you're breeding is just, it's so avoidable, right? Because as you pointed out in the DVD, you may have a whole litter of dogs which are pet quality and that's okay. And they're going to be spayed and neutered and you're going to correct those 
those issues in your next breeding choices. I, I think it's a fantastic life's work. It's obviously really paying off. People are paying attention, and we're all th- really thrilled to learn about it. Pat, we're looking forward to watching Westminster with a new eye. I think we're going to have a whole new respect for those dogs that are winning because they clearly are well put together, or they couldn't have gotten into that champion ring to begin with, right? Absolutely. You have a great rest uh, of the day, Pat. I'm sorry, did you want to say one last thing? I said one last thing is the more we learn, the more our dogs benefit. That's absolutely right, and that is the goal. I really take my hat off to you for this life's work. Wonderful book, fantastic DVD, and I will have information for people um, that goes out with the podcast about how they can put their hands on, on some of the great teachings that you've got put together. Thank you so much, Pat. Okay. Have a great rest Thank of the you. day. Uh, Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care. After this quick word, we will be back with Christine and her litter of her what she demands of people that come to look at her litter. So we will be right back. Support for Dog Talk comes from Precious Cat Litter, which is privately owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who is dedicated to creating litters to appeal to pussy cats and protect their health. All the Precious Cat litters are low dust for the health of all members of the household. Touch of the Outdoors is their newest litter made from field grass that provides environmental enrichment for indoor cats and entices them into the litter box with the natural scent of the great outdoors. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness in all their oils. I am back with Christine from Shady Lane Kennels, the wonderful cockapoo breeder who we talked to a few weeks ago um, as someone who's just a great example of really high-quality breeding practices and also what she expects of her puppy buyers. Christine, welcome back to Dog Talk. I'm delighted to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, well, it's such a pleasure because Ken and Colin have picked up their baby from you. And, you know, you're so careful. And this is something I want people to understand. It doesn't matter whether it's an AKC uh, acclaimed breed that the breeder's careful or a cockapoo breeder, which is a mixed breed, which has now been around for several decades. I think the level of concern you have that the right puppy goes home with the right buyer and you have them allowed to pick in their case they were allowed to pick between two puppies from two different litters how did you decide that um well i knew i I always meet the families first so i knew um how both the parents and the children react to um different age and size um pups and they also told me what they were looking for um as far as energy wise right so out of out of the two litters um they had they had a choice of it was actually three puppies they had a choice of three puppies two from the same litter and one from a different and of course you know even within the same litter there um the two litter mates were so different on personalities um and that's something and, that you as a breeder have paid attention to from the very earliest days so that you have a sense of which one's more outgoing which one's more bouncy which one's more laid back you have a sense of their personalities you're the one who explains it because an enthusiastic puppy buyer just is like drooling with excitement they don't have that objectivity they're just like could I have them all right 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 
And and I, I don't tell people who they can and cannot have, but I definitely guide. So I let them meet meet the puppies that are available and tell them what I feel is the right fit for the family and why. Um, and and you know they 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 always agree. I've always <laughs> had one case where. Yeah, I had one case where a woman had three sons, and she was determined to get a female, and um, there was only one female of the litter, and, and she was a little bit alpha, um, and this woman was a, a little coddled her kids, and I was like, oh, I'm a little nervous about this, but again, this is why I require all families to sign up for training, and I kept close in touch with her and with the trainer, and they ended up doing great. Um, but more often than not, the people go with my guidance because I, I do know my puppies. I play with them, you know, at least two or three times a day. Yes. I'm in the pen. And um, I do know who's, who's, you know, more active, who's more laid back, who's more cuddly. Um, One of the things that you just said is the thing that absolutely took me by surprise, and I'm so impressed by I've never heard of this before. You not only suggest or if you will require that your puppy buyers get puppy training from the time the puppies are really young you actually make them show you a paid receipt for prepaid class or private lessons i've not only never heard of it i think it's the most extraordinary idea in the world because if people wait to six months eight months 10 months or never do puppy training they're going to have a dog that is not doesn't know its limits doesn't know its boundaries it's got its mouth on everything. It's got its elimination on everything. The people are frustrated and unhappy. It reflects poorly on your breeding. And that puppy may not stay in that home forever because of it. There's a, a guy who is Tri-State Weimar on a rescue down in Maryland, Dan Stallings, who's been on this show before talking about dock diving and bed bug hunting, a lot of the things he does with his rescued wimes. And he feels strongly that he wishes that in addition to requiring rabies, to get a dog license that people also show they've had some kind of obedience training. He thinks many fewer dogs would wind up in shelters and abandoned and even euthanized if everybody had to go to any class. It doesn't even matter the quality. You just have to show up and show that. And I think that's an amazing thing that you require. You also require that people show that they have purchased the food you have been feeding the puppies so that that dietary transition is an easy one for the puppy rather than people grabbing junk off the supermarket shelf or home cooking that they're on the same food at least during those first weeks that's did is this an idea you had early on or you realized that after people were calling you with whoopsies on the telephone no i, I you know i i before i started breeding i've i've done rescue and um just even bringing home my own puppies i've just just through the 20 past years I've had dogs, like, you know that you have to do that, that transition gradually. Yes. Um, so, so as, as long as they keep on the same food, I suggest that they stay on the same food for, for a month. Yes. Um, let the dog, let the puppy get, get used to the new home, the new environment, the new people, and then do a dietary change. Cause that does, you know, shock their system. It's and, very you know, smart. Explain to them. Yeah. It, it just makes it, easier there's no you know why does she have diarrhea right um, is this puppy you know, no, sick and then they go to the vet right. and the vet you know says whatever the vet says and now they're confused i think it's amazing so the other thing you're doing which it, which brings up an interesting and prickly point about my book the dog bible 
you uh, were not aware of the book, but when I sent Ken and Colin to you, they brought, happened to have with them in their truck a copy of my book I'd given them as a gift when I steered them away from this internet cockapoo breeder in Arkansas who was going to fly this puppy in a crate and had all kinds of false claims and so forth on the website. It was clearly a mass production puppy mill kind of thing. So they brought the book right. in and, and you thought, you checked a couple of things to see if we were philosophically on the same page. I don't know if it was food or training, not important. You were like, wow, somebody that's really telling the truth. So you and I talked about it and you said, I'd actually like to buy copies, you know, at your um, author's discount and give them to my puppy buyers. Now I had reached out to, I don't know, a hundred AKC breeders of different breeds over the years, offering them that same option. Because I think that new puppy owners are overwhelmed and confused and so many things happening. And rather than calling the breeder at all hours of the day and night and being stressed, they had this sort of Dr. Spock for puppies on their shelf. And nobody right. took me up on it but you. But then you had this pretty embarrassing blowback, which is that someone that wanted to buy a puppy from you, you said to her over the phone, you should pick up a copy of the dog Bible. And she did. And she found on page 46 one paragraph that was disparaging about poo breeds, poodle cross breeds. And you wrote to me and said, well, this is sort of awkward, uh, a little embarrassing. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, how awkward and embarrassing for me is this? And I want to explain what that paragraph is about, why I had it in there so that A, your puppy owners that I hope are listening to the show, because it is the puppy show and has lots of interesting information for them. And also those that have a copy of the book and may stumble on page 46 after hearing me praise cockapoos as a breed, but in particular, Christine and the way she's been breeding and her caution and carefulness in breeding, which I think other cockapoo breeders have. I mean, you have other breeders across the country hoping to buy some of your puppies to keep their line healthy and, you know, temperamentally sound and so forth. Here's the reason right. why. In Manorville, so those of you listening live in the Hamptons, you know what I'm talking about. And in a puppy store in Hampton Bays, which was since closed under pressure from some of my listeners, as well as other dog enthusiasts who were horrified to find this, they had white human baby cribs, as many as 20 of them, in the pet store, and in this case, in the facility in Manorville. And in each human baby crib was an entire litter of poo crosses. Now, what a creepy way to present puppies to people. They walked through these rooms with these very young puppies, which means all the puppies were exposed to each other and the people were touching them and touching other puppies. And this was a health risk just for openers. But in these various baby cribs, there were Havapoos, Havanese Poodle Crosses, Multipoos, which was Maltese, Cavapoos, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, which is what I had steered Ken and Colin away from. Peekapoos, Pekingese Poodle Crosses. What a horrifying thought. Yorkie Poos, Bichon Poos, and others. And it was this poo crossing for no good reason other than to have a funny, freaky little name with no concern for who the breeding mom and dad were, what the results would be, both temperamentally and physically, that had me disturbed because there are lots of small, even some hypoallergenic, small breed dogs. The reason the cockapoo has made sense for several decades 
is, and, and you know this yourself as a breeder, there's a huge range even in crosses that you're familiar with between how hypoallergenic they'll be based on the, you said, the curliness and the tightness of the coat. So some tend more towards the cocker coat and some tend more towards the poodle coat. But that cross temperamentally has brought the quickness and the liveliness and the intelligence of the poodle to the sweet, mellow, not so geniusy of the cocker. Anyone who's had a cocker, <laughs> had a, sh a, a nearly show quality cocker, is like if they don't walk into the wall, it's a miracle. Sorry, cocker breeders, <laughs> I love the breed. They are the dearest, sweetest things. It's like having a human teddy bear, but or a living teddy bear. But you know what? A little poodle brains ain't the worst thing in the world. Not to mention that. The coat on a cocker, a really good, well-bred cocker, is a full-time job. So you mix that with the poodle oh, yeah. hair and you got like a great combo. So I just want to put that out there and be really clear about it. Apologize to anybody who misunderstood because I was saying cockapoo to me is a mixed breed that is a mixed breed. It's a legitimate one. And by the way, 80%, 90% of the breeds recognized by the AKC are crosses of other breeds. They always were. They just got recognized over time and standardized over time. This may well happen with the cockapoo at some point, but that stamp of approval doesn't make your breeding or your the soundness of it or the carefulness of it any less legitimate than it already is. So I apologize to you for you having bought and giving away books that say, and by the way, poos is a stinky idea when really it's those other poo crosses for which there's no rationale. I'm sure to you the idea of crossing a Maltese or a Bichon or a Havanese with a Poodle is kind of wacky, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, these are all really it's, small breed dogs. You're not getting a, a, a even a size thing. You're getting two tiny little dogs. Maybe you'll come out with like little mini teacup versions of it, which would be very unhealthy. Yes, there there are many there are many um, crossbreeds that are out there, and just. Well, just like you said, that like the Cavapoo for for one is the Cavalier has problems in their lines to begin with. And That's right. Because you're crossing it with a poodle doesn't mean it's going to be great. Except for in the case of a cocker, the the one really big problem I know they have because I lived with it is their ears, and I'm guessing that the poodle cross has probably helped with that. They're very prone to ear infections and even have to have surgery, as my cocker Amalfi did, to have his ears ablated in the ear canal closed. So I'm thinking in that case, a problem in the breed could be ameliorated by breeding with an, a, a breed that doesn't have any tendency towards that. But when you have breeds with brain problems and heart problems, why would you want to bring that into a line of, of, of a breed that ha doesn't have those problems present? And again, you want to pick quality, quality of representatives. And these people with baby cribs full of human baby cribs full of dogs, they're not looking to the future. They're not looking to building something with a positive foundation. They're looking to making a quick buck. All puppies are cute. It's hard to find an ugly puppy. So they're all cute. But you know, what do they turn out like as an adult? Are they, are they mentally sound? Are they physically stable? These are some of the things that, that, that come up. So Christine, I just have to say, you hold yourself to a standard higher than very many breeders of, you know, breeds of dogs that, that wind up at Westminster and wherever. You, you're really careful. You, it really matters to you. To you, your puppies are part of your family, and the people who buy them become part of your extended family. So I just want to say thank you for 
holding everyone to this really high standard. And I think it's a great lesson to everyone. If, if whoever you happen to buy a puppy from doesn't require that you get puppy training and doesn't make you show a paid receipt, take it from Christine. This is what will give you a happy dog for 15 years down the road. Right, Christine? Exactly. And One year of work gives you 15 years of pleasure. That's absolutely right, because then every day that you're with the dog, all the things the dog already knows are simply being reinforced with every treat or reinforced with every time you say go to your bed or sit and wait to put your leash on. Whatever those things are, it does make for harmony and happiness and not just a little wild child, because all puppies and all human children are wild children until you teach them how to have table manners, right? And say please and thank you. And it's no different with puppies. Christine, I'm looking forward to, to meeting Ken and, Collie's, Ken and Colin's little puppy. I'm, I'm so excited. Can't wait to, and I'm <laughs> going to be posting lots of photos um, on my Facebook page so everyone can see them. Christine, have a great day. And be sure to send people to the podcast at this show if they're like, we found page 46. That's the hidden page. <laughs> that's the, that's the frustrating thing so of, about publishing between hard covers. You know, there's ebooks and there's Kindles and... You say, well, I want a real book, but it's real inflexible. Once it's there, it's there forever. So that's what I meant on page 46. Have a great day, everybody. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches. And thanks so much for spending time with us again. Bye-bye.